0: Hello, everyone. It's lovely to see you all. So that was a good greeting, sorry. You you kind of, your voice lifted above the generalized. My name is Dave, and we are carrying on in our series in Matthew. It's been quite a ride so far, and we finish next week. I just want to remind us of the journey that we've been, because it's been rich in lots of ways. We started. Looking at the characteristics of the King, King Jesus, a sinless Savior who is with us. And then we looked at the characteristics of the kingdom by working through Jesus' teaching. Well, not all of it, uh, but this famous collection of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the characteristics of the kingdom. We looked at uh, our behavior in the kingdom as a result of who he was. Then we looked at the power of the King, Jesus' healing power over the physical and spiritual dimensions. Last week, Timber spoke about the King's mission, Jesus' compassion for the lost and his desire to see more people enter the kingdom. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Today, we're looking up We're looking at the follow-up to that, which is, who are the laborers? And what is it like to be a laborer? And next week, when we finish, we finish with a glorious hug. When we look at Jesus' compassion for those who are in difficulty. Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the hug for next week. But this week is not a hug. This week is actually closer. If we think of a hug as there and it's warm and comforting, this is closer to us being handed by Jesus a bowl of cement. He goes, try this and harden up. So the hug's coming, and as you hear the harden, if it's hard, it's not all. It's not hard or easy. It's it's both. And it is my prayer that tonight, today, as we hear this, I think, quite difficult stuff from Jesus, that he will work in us and make him more like us, more like him. Last week, when Timber preached, he actually said he nearly called his sermon, Don't Be Chicken. Actually, I think it's a more appropriate title for this week. Jesus says, Don't Be Chicken. But I've decided to give it a more descriptive name. You know, sometimes when it comes to enabling, uh, naming things, you, you name it as, as like abstract. I'm going to call it... Like It is what it says on the box. I'm going to be speaking about kingdom commission and kingdom courage. We're going to be looking at the whole of Matthew 10. It's a long passage. I'm not going to speak to it all. But before we read it, I'm going to summarize it for you. Remember I said in the previous chapter, uh, Jesus had said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Of course, it raises the question, who are the laborers? And Jesus, in this chapter, answers the question. He says to his disciples, it's you. It's not someone else. Don't sit here saying, oh, Lord, send laborers to the harvest. I want to watch them go. No, it's you. Then he appoints his apostles. He actually, this is the point in his ministry. He's had his disciples with him. He appoints. Appoints them as apostles and then sends them out on their first mission. He tells them what to do and how to behave. Then he tells them how hard it will be and how hard it will become and says, Persevere. Now, I've decided to read the whole thing. Well, actually, I'm not going to read it just to break it up. I have a lovely assistant, Andrew. Won't you come up because I have a reader for this? But as he comes up, I just want to help you process this. It's going to take about five minutes to read the chapter, which is long. But it's good for us to hear the public reading of Scripture. And if you are going to allocate energy to listen to me, because I hope I'll be about 20 minutes, give your best five minutes of attention to what Jesus says. The 15 minutes after, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to to you through me. But this is Jesus speaking directly. So tune up your ears, open your mind, and come and listen to the words of Jesus. Thank you,
1: Andrew. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Apheus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent, as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you will say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And the children will rise against parents. And have them put to death. And you will be hated. By all. For my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end. Will be saved. When they persecute you in, the to- in one town. Flee to the next. For truly I say to you. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel. Before the son of man. Comes. A disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house beelzebub how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against a daughter-in-law, sorry, it's messing up there. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those who are in his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Andrew,
0: and well done. That's a lot. Can you imagine the disciples and how they felt? Yo, we're getting a job. This is going to be awesome. And then Jesus carries on talking, and they go, and their eyes get bigger, and then they start looking at each other like, what is this? But it's true. Before I speak further, let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, When you speak truth, that truth is eternal. What you said to the disciples was true then, it's true now. Won't you reveal yourself to us? Won't you help us to understand you more? As a result of this, won't you help us to love and enjoy you more? And Lord, won't you strengthen us? For the mission that you have given us. Amen. Okay. Let's look first at kingdom commission. We saw last week what Jesus as king's commission was. He had come to seek and save the lost. He wanted those. He spoke of it as a harvest of bringing in to get people into the kingdom. And now he delegates that commission to his disciples. He said here. And it's. It's interesting, he didn't want his disciples just so he would have someone to like, be awesome in front of, to say wise words to, and they would be like a groupy following. No, he was recruiting co-workers. And it wasn't just those 12, it's cascaded to us over the centuries. Paul said this a few times to the Corinthians. He said, "'For we are God's fellow workers.'" And to Timothy, this is where he spoke about the cascade. He said, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I think we can safely say that Jesus' commission to those 12 apostles has cascaded down to us. Now, there are a few tweaks to that. We are not limited to non-Samaritan towns. In fact, Jesus commissioned, just before he extended it, he said, go into all the world. Go into all the world. But we can't say, no, this is not for us. This is for someone else. And he said this. I just want to read a few passages where he said this. He said, and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he adds on, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He didn't just say it once. I actually want to read that passage where it's known as the Great Commission, where he expands this just before he ascended into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Bible drips with this commission that we are to tell people about Jesus, that he is Lord, King, and Master of all. There's a little more detail that we are obliged to go in because just telling someone is king is like, oh, that's cool. But it's a bigger story, and I'm going to summarize it here. This is the commission that we are to communicate to others. That we have sinned, and therefore... So he's king. We have sinned, and therefore we have fallen short of God's perfect standard. This is a massive problem, because if you fall short of the king's standard, he is entitled to punish you. But, praise be to God, Jesus... God the Son has made a way for us to be saved. He came to earth as a baby, grew up to manhood, and never sinned. Can you imagine that? Never sinned. He was killed, though he was innocent. And as a result, God chose to accept his sacrifice, his punishment, his unjust death as payment for our sin. It's a fancy word you can use this week. It's called substitutionary atonement. Our sins are atoned for not by what we do, but by as a sub, the super sub. Jesus comes in, dies, and rises again in payment for our sins. As a result, if we accept what Jesus did for us, we no longer face death, but we are able to enjoy eternity as sons and daughters of God. Oh, And because Jesus was sinless, death couldn't hold him. And so he was raised from the dead and has ascended into heaven, and he will take the throne of the universe. He will be crowned king. Revelation is full of that. That's why we call him King Jesus. There's one last thing to the message that we need to bring, that this invitation to the kingdom of God has an expiry. It expires under one of two conditions. When you die or when Jesus comes again, whichever happens first. And that expiry counts. Because up to that expiry date, that invitation is valid. If you were to come and present it to God and say, I want to take you up on your invitation. I accept you as king. Please forgive my sins. He will say, yes, I will honor that. And you will be a son or daughter of God forever. But if you miss that expiry date and show up the next day with that certificate, it doesn't count. It's really an expiry. There's no renewal. And the consequences of presenting an expired invitation is eternal damnation. It's a big scary phrase. We don't use it often, but it's real. Eternal separation from God in hell. Like there's a massive dividing line. On one side it's incredible. On the other, it's horrific. That's why this commission we have matters. Okay, I didn't get all of that from what Jesus said in this passage. But I didn't make it up either. Earlier, in, in, well, not earlier, but Jesus in John 3 summarized that. And this is what he said. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Here is our commission as disciples to proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Even the other things that Jesus told his disciples to do. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out the demons. They were all to underpin this message. They were not the primary things. Although I would love to see more of that happening now. Because if you raise the dead and they die again unsaved, the outcome is the same. There is no eternal meaning to raising a human for the dead, giving them 10 extra years of life, and then they die again. I mean, it gives them 10 extra years where their invitation expiry doesn't kick in yet. But actually, all of those things were to underpin the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. And each of us face a decision that we must make about that kingdom. So this draws me to personal reflection. It's one thing to evaluate the disciples and how well they did. It's another thing for me to reflect on myself. When last did I or did you walk in somewhere and say, the kingdom of heaven is near? Imagine showing up at your mate's house for a briar or at your next board meeting at work and going, the kingdom of heaven is near. I say it with a bit of a smile because it's really easy to make people feel guilty about not sharing the gospel. And it's not my intention to make you feel guilty because that would be manipulative. But at the same time, I don't want to soften the challenge that this passage presents to each of us. I've been chewing on this since I started preparing For this preach. We're gonna have an opportunity to reflect a bit more about how often or how little we do this. But at the very least, I want to encourage each of you to do a bit more. Perhaps this means asking someone what they believe. Perhaps it means telling someone that you are a Christ follower. Perhaps it means telling someone why you're a Christ follower. Perhaps it means asking someone what they think about Jesus. But whatever it is, I think the challenge from this passage, at the very least, is to do a bit more. Okay, that's the kingdom commission. Let's look at kingdom courage. But before I look at that, I want to tell you a story. Two weeks ago, I was in Iswatini. I rode a mountain bike race there called the Swazi Frontier. And at the briefing the night before, it was three days long, at the briefing the night before, the race organizer was telling us about the route and what to expect. And as I listened, my eyes got a little bit wider than I had anticipated. You know, somehow, I mean, I know Swaziland and I know the geography, but I haven't traveled there much. And I thought it was much more low felt. And like, yeah, they're hills, but they're not all hills. Swaziland is all hills. So my eyes were quite wide even before the briefing. But then he goes, he says, guys, often when you ride a mountain bike trail, when it gets a bit tricky, you'll see a little sign that's got three down arrows just before to warn you to pay attention. There are too many of those places on this race. So I'm telling you now, it's three down arrows for three days. Pay attention. It's like, ooh, okay. Okay. And I did. I really did pay attention. Uh, he also added a bit of context. He said, we've done a lot of work taking the big rocks out of the way on some of the downhills. And on this particular downhill, he said, if you hit a rock and it gives you a fright and you're about to think, whoa, that's a big rock, stop yourself and say, no, that's a medium rock because they've already taken the big rocks out. <laughs> and I, it, it happened to me. I came over this thing. I didn't see it. I was like, and I, whoa, that was, a, that was a medium rock. But this is actually what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to his disciples, this is a three-down arrow life. Pay attention. You don't know when it's going to come. And all of this terrible stuff that Jesus described did not happen to all of the disciples on their missions while he was alive, before he died and rose again. Some of this manifested thereafter. But Jesus is telling his disciples now, this is hard. But it's like, he's not apologetic. Guys, uh, I've tried everything. I'm just, I'm really sorry. It's going to be hard. Now he just says it like it is. And this is why I can imagine the disciples' eyes going wider and wider. But he doesn't downplay it. Actually, what he does, I, there's a clever trick about downplaying something is you can either just downplay it or you can offer perspective. You know, if you're on a little hill, you think it's a big hill, and then you happen to get in a plane or climb up a mountain, you look down on the hill and say, oh, that's a little hill. Wow, how could I think that was a big hill? That's what he does here. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but who can't kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Here's perspective. Here's your little mountain of fear about some cuts and scrapes. Maybe even getting crucified upside down or boiled in oil. Okay, that sounds bad when you're on the top of the little hill. But what Jesus does, he says, come up here. Have a look at that little hill from here. That's just your body. It's only the rest of your physical life. Why are you being afraid of that? If you're going to be afraid of someone, be afraid of someone who can ruin your eternity. Actually, it's ruined already because if you don't accept Jesus, you have rejected them and that is your existing trajectory. It's ruined. What are you doing worried about this? That's quite hard because I feel pain and I'm afraid of pain. And what Jesus is saying is it's a little hill. There are some things which are a comfort even in this passage. He says, fear not, after all of that. Fear not. Therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Just before that, he said, hey, the, like, not even a sparrow dies without God's attention. And he says, fear not. You are more valuable than sparrows. That doesn't mean you won't die. It just means you won't die without his attention. So any or everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You're not suffering for nothing. And earlier, a bit earlier, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Like, just keep at it. You know, when, again, bicycles, because that's my go-to for illustrations, because that's where most of my suffering Little. It's not even a hill. It's tiny. But I get to reflect. And, like, if you like, going up a hill and you can't even ride, you're just pushing, and you stop, well, you'll never get to the top. But if you just keep going, eventually you'll get to the top. One guy on this race, he got the longest day on the last day. I think he was, like, seven and a half hours. But it's because he took two naps in the forest, and he spent half an hour in the river. But... He rested and then he kept going and he got there. It's like the one who endures to the end will be saved. Like, don't set unreasonable expectations for performance. Enduring is not the same as performing. Jesus did not say the one who performs like a rock star to the end will be saved. He said the one who endures. Sometimes that means just curling up in a ball and holding on. That's okay. The call is to endure. So all of that summarized. Jesus says, it will be very hard, but keep at it. It's worth it. And actually, that's a theme in the New Testament. Peter said this. He said, in fact, Peter, four, 1 Peter 4 and 1 Peter 5 is full of this. I've just picked one verse. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange is happening to you. So often, when we have difficulty, and somebody offers us counsel, we go, "No, no, no, you, you don't understand. This is special." I mean, we never say it like this, but this is different. Somehow, that advice doesn't apply. And he goes, "Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. As if you're special? No, that's standard practice. It's hard." but it's not special, it's not a carve-out, it's not God's, he's not surprised by this. It's actually what brothers and sisters of yours through the centuries have faithfully endured. And actually, I find that encouraging. The, The most scary thing is when you feel like something is happening to you that's never happened before. It's one of my aims in life to be medically boring. Even if it's severe, I'd love the doctor to go, no, it's bad, but we've seen this before. When the doctor goes, yo, (laughs) let me call my friend. (laughs) Or the imaginary discussion at the bar after work, the oak goes, yo, you should have seen this patient I had. I have never seen this stuff in my life. I don't want to be like that. I want to be medically boring. And what God is, Jesus is saying here is actually suffering is boring. It happens to everyone. That's a comfort. It's a bit of a backhanded comfort, but it is a comfort. Take hope from the fact that we're in this together. And what was the theme through worship? Jesus is there with you. Psalm 23, Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Um, elsewhere, it's in the psalm. It's like he sets a table for me in front of my enemies. He doesn't take the enemies away. It's like he's just, he's with you there. That's what's profound about this. James, he goes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Yo, If you're feeling lousy, this is terrible stuff. But it doesn't make it not true. So why, one of the things I wondered was why did Jesus go to such lengths? Why did the Did the writers of the New Testament go to such lengths to explain this? And I think think perhaps there are two reasons. The first is if you're in the thick of it, if you feel like you're in the middle of what Jesus described, it's to encourage you. To encourage, encourage, put courage in. To encourage you to endure. Don't give up. It may not feel like it, but Jesus will never abandon you. In fact, earlier, um, uh, Timber said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Didn't say comfort. The verse is not surely comfort and lots of sleep will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. It can be good and hard. It can be good while bad stuff is happening. And I think what God wants us to do is reinterpret our relationship with Him and hold to Him when it's hard. But there's another reason I think that this applies, which certainly applies much more to me, because I'm not in the thick of it. I'm not suffering. My brother is not trying to hand me over to the authorities. My parents aren't. I'm not suffering like that. I think the reason that this is in there for me is perhaps I need to try a bit harder. Like, maybe I need to go into a boardroom. Say the kingdom of heaven is near. Like, sometimes I don't talk about Jesus because I'm worried about a little bit of social awkwardness. Like, maybe one of my colleagues will go, Dave? And then we'll move on with the agenda. It's like, it may be 30 seconds of social awkwardness, and I choke. In the light of this passage... How pathetic is that? It's so lame. I feel such an incredible challenge here. Now, there are lots of ways of getting into practical application here. And that's not the purpose of today. I think the purpose of today was to ask the Lord to massage our hearts. And that's what we're going to do now. I trust that He has because, sure. Mine's been massaged. And where do you go where you feel overwhelmed? We actually go to the cross. And so we're going to have communion together. So if you're at home, you can press pause. You can get the elements. The rest of you, won't you pick up the little bits on your, ta- on your chairs, and we are going to go to the cross together. Ah, they're better ones. It's a perk about being a preacher. You get real grape juice. But wonderfully, this is this, what we do here. has got nothing to do actually with the bits that we eat or drink. But it has everything to do about Jesus' rem- encouragement for us to remember Him. His incredible sacrifice. He lived out this commission to the very core of His soul. And he died and rose again so that we could do the same and enjoy eternity with him. So I'm just going to ask you to stand. Somehow standing can be helpful. And as you eat these elements, which represent his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, I just want to invite you to ask God to strengthen you for his commission and to give you the courage that you need to live it out. Let's remember what Jesus did. I, re- I, I do feel in myself overwhelmed. But you sent us your Holy Spirit. And the reason you sent him was as a helper. You said to your disciples, when I send the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Won't you give us what we need to fulfill the commission you have given us? Amen.